Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Episode 14 of Outlander Cast with Mary and Blake is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com/tallmommedia. There are over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. Today's choice in honor of our guest is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. People disappear all the time. Most are found. Eventually. Disappearances, after all, have explanations. Usually. with Mary and Blake. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. I'm your host, Mary Larson. My name's Blake, and I'm ready to talk about some blood. Ew, that's gross. Love it. I Cannot hate blood. Wait. I hate blood so much. It makes me nauseous. This is the girl that like does like the blood like draws for like being pregnant. She's like, oh my god, oh my god, I need you to come with me. Just hold my hands and da 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 da. You know, it's true. You make fun of me, but you, I, I really lucked out marrying you. Blake comes with me to each visit, especially if they're about to take blood, because I'm a mess, guys. I don't, even, I don't know what the phobia is called, but I'm pretty darn sure I have that scared phobia. Scared of needle phobia. That's scared. What that is. It's not needles. It's, oh, it's when the they blood, like when yeah. the blood is coming out of me, and I'm fine if I see blood coming out of other people. Like I can take care of you, mm-hmm. but if it's my blood. I'm a hot mess. Like literally, <laughs> I start sweating. I sweat. I I like, turns very red. Close to shakes. Fainting. Oh yeah, I, it's bad. I cry the entire time. There's this one woman. At, oh, it's like a little Greek woman, <laughs> I think. At our hospital that we have to go to for all of my pregnancy blood work, and she knows me now because I have memorized her schedule since she's the only person I trust. To it's take like my this blood. little old white-haired lady. She's so sweet. She's wicked nice. Yeah, she's like, you're doing a good job. <laughs> you do very good. Your husband, nice man. And I'm like, oh, thank you, as I'm like wiping snot and tears from my face. So today we are going to talk a little bit about blood. Actually, a lot about blood, as a matter of fact. Not my blood. Not your blood. Thank God. (laughs) Jamie's blood. That's who we're talking about. (laughs) Because today we are talking to, I want to call him the blood master, (laughs) Christian Mallet. Uh, who's Christian Mallet? Well, Christian Mallet is responsible for so many of the things that made you go, ooh. (laughs) While watching Outlander. Including Jamie's back. 
Oh, during the lashing scene. Oh yeah. Yep, that's thanks to Christian Mallet. Remember when the guy got his leg shot? Oh no, when he got like gored by gored the, uh, by the boar. Yep, he got boar gored. <laughs> Sorry. Look at you, hey, poet. You didn't know it. Hey, I'm I'm just smart like that. I'm wicked smart. Christian Mallet is just this amazing makeup artist and special effects master. Yes, he has. So he is our special guest for today's episode. We were lo- we were really looking forward to speaking with him. Um, actually, uh, he was actually looking forward to speaking with us too. I think he was kind of excited to talk about his craft and how good he really is at what he does. We actually in our in our sponsorship here for Audible.com, we mentioned uh, that uh, the, the free book today, the Harry Potter and the Deathly. Our recommendation. Our recommendation. It is a free download if you'd like. Um, It's inspired exactly by Christian Mallet. Why? Because you'll eventually find out that he did all the work on Harry Potter with all like all the goblin masks. He was part of the team with the goblins, like all the goblins who ran uh, Gringotts Bank, all those masks. Yeah. He was part of the people who made those. So Mary pretty much had a nerdgasm. Uh, when she heard that. And when I she, was on his IMDb page, <laughs> I, w- I was like, oh my but God. But she was stalking him just a little he bit. He loves Outlander and Harry Potter. And there's We're- some other really cool information that you'll find out <laughs> about Harry Potter and how Mary just kind of melts at this guy's feet as he's speaking about it. So it was really cool. <laughs> he was re- he was a really great guy. And you're going you're gonna to get you're a gonna chance love to listen it. to it. You're going to love it. So before we get into our interview, we wanted to let you know that this interview with Christian Mallet is made possible by Thistle and Pine. They are the best source for all of your Celtic gifts and collectibles. So please visit them at www.thistleandpine.com. And I just went on and I'm so incredibly excited because there's something that I need to buy. Oh my God. What Do I even want to know what it is? <laughs> there are um, Celtic, like... <laughs> printed... <laughs> kilt printed onesies. So the onesies have kilts... That ha- are attached to the onesies, like kilt skirts. <laughs> it's amazing. We're not getting that. It's one that. piece. We're not getting... I know, I know this is There's all pine. different types. You're, dude, you're our sponsor. I'm so happy that you are, but I'm not getting it. There's the Royal Stewart, the Nova Scotia one. That's my family is Nova Scotia. Kate Brenton, Black Watch. I mean... These babies look so friggin' cute, and it's sewed into the onesie. Oh, my It's a God. white onesie with a kilt on the bottom. They have a lot of other things. They have, they even have Christmas ornaments. I wish I knew about these All right, guys. You know what? Earlier. Why don't we just get into why the people are actually listening to okay, us today? I'm just letting you guys know. All right. What do you Baby say? Baby onesie kills. What do you say we do it? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Joining us now is Christian Mallet. He is a prosthetic makeup designer who has worked on our favorite show, Outlander, but he's also worked on a bunch of films and television shows that you might know, like Les Mis and a few of the Harry Potter movies. And Christian, I don't know if you know this, but I'm like the biggest Harry Potter fan in all of Rhode Island. And that's like the smallest I would say mainly the United States. Probably. That's quite a claim. That is quite a claim. I mean, I actually live in Leavesden, which is the the place where all the Harry Potter movies were made. Um, I actually met my wife on Harry Potter 4, I believe it was 4, and we now have three children. Uh, and they're not called Harry, Ron, and Hermione. But <laughs> Good. We, we live we live in the housing estate, which is where they sh- where they shot uh, 
um, basically the Harry Potter sequence of where his home is. The Dursleys? Your neighbours were the Dursleys? The Dursleys? No, I don't live in their house. Um, But I I live on the estate. I live on their estate, essentially. And we actually live opposite the Harry Potter studios. So, um, yeah, it's kind of strange. I actually moved to where I live because of Harry Potter. So, um, yeah, it's kind of strange. That's, what, that's where I started my film crew was Harry Potter. Really? Now, tell us a little bit of what you did with the film crew on the Harry Potter set that then gave you the springboard to create your own crew. Uh, well, basically, I was working for other people. I mean, as a child, I saw films and, uh, I, you know, I remember being a very young boy and seeing a film called Legend, which was about um, about... Tom Cruise, I seem to remember Tom Cruise was in it and Tim Curry is playing this big red devil and the red devil had to cut off these unicorn horns to basically make it dark forever. And I remember on a Saturday morning there was a a behind-the-scenes documentary about how they, you know, what was going on, the film sets. and But there was the makeup application being done on Tim Curry, turning him from this small man into this large red devil. Um, and I remember seeing it and being blown away with, you know, wow, people make monsters for a living and that's exactly what I wanted to do. And throughout school and through college, I studied makeup and done art. I was very much a creative person, had a break, ended up being uh, on Harry Potter. Uh, And throughout the years on Harry Potter, I ended up just keeping my head down, working hard, being creative, trying to work overtime. Every opportunity I had to work a weekend, I would. And just learn. I mean, the people that I had around me were really the best people in Europe, like the best sculptors, painters, art and finishers, you know, people who even inserted hair into eyebrows for fake prosthetics. They really were the, the you know, the, the creme de la creme, you know. And um, so even if he wasn't necessarily doing something with them, but they were, you know, had one eye on them, you'd be learning all the time. And I left... I left Harry Potter with such knowledge, but all those people that I worked with, they went on to other companies and other projects and they recommended me and and so forth. And, and, and for a few years, that kind of went, I was working for various different people and uh, I then got contacted by a producer who wanted me to do a show and I'd done one TV show and then they recommended me to another show and that got a second series and then there were two shows and then that just kept going more and more and more and more. And then I think it was in 2007 or 2008, I believe, I used to set up my own company. Uh, and ever since then, we've been very busy. Um, we do a lot of TV shows. We do a lot of films. And we've just grown and grown and grown and grown. And we're now in our fourth workshop. And, um, but yeah, we, you know, we, and then we started Outlander um, a year ago or over a year ago now. Yes. Um, before we even talk Outlander, are your daughters going to have like amazing Halloween costumes since they have you as a dad? Everyone says that. I think everyone thinks that Halloween, <laughs> it must be the best house to be in, but it's like a busman's holiday. The last thing I want to see on Halloween or be asked on Halloween is, can you do my makeup? Yes. It's like no chance. <laughs> They'll just be ghosts with a sheet over their head. Yeah, yeah. Well, easy way out, whatever I can do. So you said that many of the different shows that you've worked on, you were recommended to be on. How did you find your way into Outlander? Well, it was the makeup designer, Lisa Westcott, on Les Mis. Um, uh, when I worked with her, um, before the film even started, uh, me and... <clears throat> I got recommended to her through um, Daniel Phillips and 
Jan Sewell, who are other makeup designers that I worked with, but she wanted somebody to sit down with her and actually artwork all the various different looks for all the characters of Les Miserables before we even got the cast in so that she could offer up hairstyles and makeup looks. This was without prosthetics. Um, but she wanted me to Photoshop different designs. And so I sat with uh, Lisa Westcott for about a month and a half at Pyman Studios, artworking every single character's hairstyles, all the options and what they would look like in different costumes and how it look on their skin tones. And, and we'd done this for, for a while. And then when the film started, there was also uh, aging makeups and makeups to make them look like they've been wearing shackles and things. And we'd done that. And then we'd done tattoo transfers and that, it, that job just grew and grew and grew and grew. Uh, Lisa Westcott actually won a, an Oscar for that film for uh, Best Makeup, which was rightly deserved because not only did she do a great job, but the actual the politics involved in that film was quite traumatic for the British film industry because many people were being taken advantage of just because it was a 17-week film uh, production that went got squashed into 13 weeks and oh. the production were uh, desperately trying to save money and they were working people too long and not paying them and it ended up being a bit of a nightmare. And so, uh, yeah, there was kind of, not strikes, but unions were involved and it became kind of messy. And I think for her just to get through that, I mean, that was the last film she retired after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that she had enough. But she was asked by a makeup designer called Suzanne Jensen um, about wanting to approach Outlander in a similar vein, trying to get somebody to do artwork and designs. Lisa was a good friend of Suzanne, and Lisa recommended me. Uh, and then I sat with Suzanne, and um, she sent me briefs of what she required for Sam and everyone to look like. And so we'd done, you know, makeup designs and hair designs for Tobias, and we'd done, you know, artwork for Sam and various different hair colours and, and all this sort of things. And basically what happened was over a period of time, we had a collection of artwork that was then submitted um, to the producers and they would say no to this, yes to that and it just kind of kept going backwards and forwards and um, until they basically ended up getting Sam in for the actual makeup tests and, and things like that and then after that we then started the prosthetics which is then where I became more heavily involved and we started artworking the back scars and, and that went on for quite a while because it was such an iconic part of that character, you know, it had to tell a, quite a large story. So tell me about that process. Did you feel any, like, um, responsibility to making that back prosthetic? Um, Did you feel think, any pressure? I think fortunately, because I I was completely unaware of how big the books were, <laughs> um, I think if I had known, then I probably would have added a little bit of pressure to myself. But as far as I was aware, it was... Um, it was one story being told up in Scotland about a guy who'd been flogged quite heavily and I wasn't aware of how large the, sh- the show was or was even seen to be, uh, or, you know. Um, so I didn't have any any pressure at all. I didn't feel any pressure. Um, but that's because of, I was completely ignorant, um, <laughs> to be honest, and naive to how big this, this show was. Uh, in hindsight... Um, I'm very glad that I sculpted it the way I sculpted it and it was designed the way it was designed and um, only because it's it has quite an impact and it's quite it's quite hard hitting and I think after now knowing the story and 
And because uh, the other thing is, like when I started, I only I only was given the first two scripts first, and then every time they released another two scripts, you know that's that's how I found out the story. Um, and it's not like they gave me the entire series and said, "There you go, this is what you're heading towards." Um, they didn't even recommend the book. Um, but to be honest, even if they did, I wouldn't have had time to read it. So the back itself, it's pretty gnarly when you, when you look at it. And what was, what was the concept that you had and and what was, um, what was the, the frame of reference that you were looking towards and what was the look that you were going for uh, in terms of of that prosthetic? Well, originally, um, we wanted to keep it quite subtle so that you'd have to be quite close to him to, to see it and for it to read. And we was going to do it so that when we, when I sculpted it and I made it, it was going to be something that was very simple for the makeup team to stick on because I knew it was going to be on a lot and I knew that there's a good chance that they couldn't afford for me to be uh, flown all the way to Scotland to stick it on all the time because then they have to put me up overnight, have to stick it on and fly back the same day or the next day. And if you fly the day before and you fly back the day after, they have to pay the travel day. That's a whole day's work just for you to sit on a plane. It becomes incredibly expensive and um, not necessary, really. So I designed the first few uh, pieces of artwork very subtle. And it was more, more, more. <laughs> so we'd done it a little bit more, you know, and uh, it was more, more, more. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, then if we go any more, then it's going to be a, a hefty prosthetic and it's going to require, you know, me being there. Um, but the other thing is in the story, he's meant to have a hundred lashes on his back. He's flogged a hundred times and that's the second time round. So in all fairness, he would be dead. He wouldn't <laughs> even be alive. Um, also, it's a it's a cat and nine tails. So not only is he flogged a hundred times, that's that's nine hundred lashes on his back. He wouldn't have a back left. <laughs> so, it, in all honesty, I mean, he wouldn't just have a few strokes of scars. That he would have like barely any any back left whatsoever. It'd be it looked like a really bad uh, skin graft. Um, that's probably what it would look like. Um, but obviously that doesn't make for a good story and the hero still has got to look sexy and cool and, you know, scars are sexy and cool, right? So we we looked at other reference and there was a, a piece of artwork from, uh, I remember a Batman comic by Alex Ross and it was a Batman sort of looking at himself after he's taken his his uh, bat suit off and it's Bruce Wayne just checking his own back out and it's a black and white image and it's it's him his like scars of being beaten and cut and stabbed and various bullet wounds on his back but it was it was really deep it looked really deep and puckered and, and there was something that I really liked about that and I, I remember thinking it would be kind of cool to have that sort of element to it where there's different strokes, but there's there's scars that go in, there's scars that are growing over other scars. So clearly when he's had his first lot of lashes, they've healed up and then he's been flogged again and, you know, they've healed over the top of other healed scars. And, and that's kind of the way, that's the way we approached it. I just wanted to know like that, what that process was like to even make that, like what did you even use and did you have to practice putting it on Sam's back? Like how do you make a yeah, pair well, of scars? Yeah, well, what we did, what we what we do is we take a life cast 
of Sam's back. So Sam comes into the workshop and we basically put uh, a silicon all over his back uh, that goes off in about five minutes. And then we put plaster bandage on the back of that to sort of hold its shape. And then we ask Sam to sort of step away from it. We peel it off his back. And then we have a negative shape of, of Sam's back. We then fill that with plaster of Paris. Uh, and then we have a positive of Sam's back. So that's our shape that we sculpt on. We sculpt with a wax called plastiline here in the UK. And in the US, there's uh, one called Monster Makers Clay, um, which I've actually recently moved on to. So we actually order that from the States all the time. It's a much better clay. Um, but you basically block out shapes. So you look at your reference and you start sculpting and you start putting the scars where you want the scars to go and the various different directions and you build areas up so you can actually carve into it to make it look like the scars going deep within the skin tissue. Uh, and that, that's basically what we did. And then once you've got the, a rough shape, you take an image and you send it to the, the producers and they say, yes, no, more, less, um, <clears throat> until you, you actually find something that you're really happy with. Um, so we've done a few... Well, we'd done a few designs first. As soon as they kind of locked down the design, I went ahead and just sculpted what I thought would look cool. Uh, and they pretty much said yes straight away. So once they were happy with the shape, we then basically put in all the skin detail. And it is literally a case of putting in skin pore by skin pore, one at a time, with a tiny needle through a little piece of plastic. And you're you're doing it and getting all the direction of the skin texture so where it's been puckered and pulled. So if they wanted to, if they wanted to go with a macro lens onto that back, you would actually see all the skin pores actually being pulled into the various scar detail. Um, the only reason we did that, because we knew that there's a good chance, or there was a sequence where she rubs her hand down his back uh, and it was all meant to be soft lit and against the firelight. And so we knew it was really going to catch some detail. So we went, we went all out on it, to be honest. I'm glad you um, did. Cause that was a very nice scene. <laughs> Sexy scene, right? That was their wedding yeah, night yeah. scene. Yeah. Love that scene. The it, women love that scene. In regards to the back, you said that you wanted to start off really subtly. Um, and you kept on adding who was telling you to keep adding. Was that, was that your choice? Or was that Ron Moore's choice? It was it was Rod's yeah I mean it was it was Ron's really because I it, I think it was a case of I was trying to be subtle because I knew what was what would it entail as a makeup artist to try and stick it on every day the maintenance of it it's not an easy thing sticking on a back piece and it's also not very easy for the artist to sit there for any length of time to have this prosthetic put on so I was trying to keep it really simple at first to make life easy. Um, but of course, it was very much normally. That's what producers want. They want it artists quickly on set. Don't want the artist hanging around too long. Don't want to spend money. Don't want to pay for you to fly up. That, so I was doing everything what they normally want. So this was one of the first times they said, "No, no, 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 no. We want it more, more, more. Yeah, it's a prosthetic. We'll fly you up. We'll do this. We'll do that." Of course, they did, and then they realised actually halfway through the series is like, "Well, oh, maybe we should." try and get the makeup department to learn how to stick this on because this is Gosner's a fortune. And he's, I just think, well, put a shirt on him. Put a shirt on him. He's always getting his top off. Just put him in a shirt. Put him in a jumper. <laughs> Save himself a fortune. Aside from you, who has the most say in what your work will look like? Is that something that you only answer to Ron Moore or do you answer to other people too? No, no, no. Uh, the makeup designer, um, well, Suzanne 
Jensen, she done the first, I think, four episodes, and then at Christmas there was a hiatus, and then after that, uh, Annie McEwen took over as a makeup designer. Um, and I don't think there was any reasons apart from, uh, I think, availability. And I think, because, oh, I'll tell you what the other reason was, is Annie was from Scotland. And I know that Suzanne was from London. And I think the travels um, and the accommodation of having the entire makeup team from London in Scotland uh, was draining the resources a little bit too much. So they tried to have as many local people as possible. And I think Annie's availability was... They always had Annie um, to do it, but she couldn't do the first four episodes because she was on Game of Thrones. And when I believe she was then available after Christmas, they then got Annie in because she was always meant to be doing it because she was local. Um, she got them and Suzanne then went back down to London. Um, but the makeup designer very much has a say in other things. But in this case with the back, Suzanne didn't want anything to do with the prosthetics. And at that point, Annie wasn't even on board. Um, so with that, it was very much me and the producers. Um, again, not realizing, uh, how, how, how much of a focal point this was going to be at the time. So I was just like, yeah, back scar. Okay. What do you want? You know, if only I knew, but I'm glad I didn't at the time. Cause I'm kind of, it's worked out for the best. But one thing I wish I did know was that we actually see later on, uh, a flashback of the flogging taking place um, because I would have sculpted it, not differently, but I would have sculpted the actual uh, lashed, the lashing part first uh, and then copied it in the scar form. So you worked on that, that back for that scene, the back lashing scene with all the skin well, hanging off? That's me, yeah. That's, um, yeah, I kind of got a lot of phone calls and a lot of Facebook uh, notification about that. A lot of people were kind of grossed out by it quite a lot, which is good because it's meant to be really brutal. Um, but you know, I was very happy with that whole, that whole makeup, you know, it was really hard to do. It was very complicated. Um, especially when it had to progress, had to get worse and worse. So I also had to bleed, you know, it's an incredibly thin prosthetic that had to have various blood rigs underneath. Um, but also it had to, I had to show how his back got into the state it did, you know. How did you even get the blood inside that? I was picturing like a little Ziploc bag stuck inside <laughs> inside of the back and as it would be hit it would be punctured. Could how you do you imagine even do that? that? He would just have these bulbous bags. <laughs> that would never work. That's crazy. That's why I'm not a prosthetic makeup That's, designer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, no, I mean, it's not, it's not, you're not far off, to be honest. You do have these bladders. We make these tiny little bladders, uh, and they're kind of like latex balloons and they're very flat, but they have loads of holes in. So along his back where he's got, he's got all these like lines and crisscrosses behind each one of those was various different small bladders that would have a little tube coming out. And all these tubes were connected to larger tubes and they would be connected to a thing called a pegler. Now, um, a lot of people would know a pegler if they saw one because it's kind of the thing that you pump and you spray fertilizer or weed killer on your plants. So it's kind of the thing you pump up and, you know, you spray. It's, it's one of those, but this one's uh, it's a little bit more uh, industrial. It's silver. It's got a pressure gauge on it so you can know what pressure you can get it up to. And... 
So you've got all these tiny little tubes that come out of the bottom of his back that go underneath his kilt. So you don't see that. So the prosthetic goes all the way down to his bum. And then basically from the bottom of that go comes out all these tubes and they connect to the pegulars. And we've got a couple of pegulars on the go, all primed, ready to go. So every time he lashes back, we sort of release a little bit of blood and part of the back will bleed. And then we'll release a bit more and another part of the back will bleed. And the more he does it, the more it bleeds and the more vicious it gets. And then we go in and we start to rip apart the back, open up certain other wounds. And it gets to a point where pieces are literally hanging off and, you know, the blood is going all over the place. Uh, And on the day, I seem to remember over over priming it a little bit and uh, just getting a little bit too blood ha- happy. But um, what was interesting was that the set it was shot in was incredible. It was like everyone was around and it <clears throat> it was fantastic because the the reactions on people's faces because they didn't know what to expect. So we we took Sam out with the prosthetic on, had him hanging there, and then we we went straight into straight into the gruesome elements of the, of the shoot. And um, I think it took a lot of people by surprise. Uh, all the, you know, supporting artists and um, even even the producers were, like, on the other side giving me the thumbs up, you know, because I think they were happy with how brutal it looked. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I've, I've since seen the, the actual sequence and it is, it's, it's quite, it's very brutal. Yeah, it's very hard to watch, I think, if you didn't know it was coming. I remember watching that sequence, and, you know, I, I had an expectation on what the lash would look like and how it would affect, you know, Sam's back. But what I didn't anticipate was with that initial lash, and all of a sudden the blood just came pouring out. And I was like, oh, yeah. my God, I, I, I totally didn't expect it for whatever reason. I don't know why. And yeah. it, just, it just poured out, and it just felt so real. I remember commenting on it and being totally totally like floored by the the work that you had done i, I remember oh, thank you very much it was awesome so uh but so we all know about jamie's back and it's a major major yes. part of the story is there something that you worked on that we wouldn't have noticed necessarily or something that was uh, underplayed well i mean to be honest sam gonna gets he gets a lot of things. You get to a point where you sort of think, Christ, if I was Sam, I'd, I'd probably jump off a cliff <laughs> because everything happens to Sam. <laughs> uh, I mean, he dislocates his shoulder in the first episode. You know, the first episode we meet him, he's dislocated his shoulder. And um, I remember it was kind of a, it was a me and visual effects. We'd we done this um, shoulder pop where we made this prosthetic where he he'd sort of have his arm hanging hanging off down the side of his body and the the collarbone was like popping popping quite high um and then you know claire comes along and just twists it and gives it a bit of a pop and fixes you know what a genius she's so clever she fixes it but yep. <laughs> vfx fix it the good old vfx guys so what they done was they they done the entire sequence with him with the prosthetic on uh, and then we took the prosthetic off, and then they'd done the sequence with the prosthetic off. Um, and what they'd done was they basically merged the two together. So when he twists his arm, they basically just make the, the prosthetic just animate into his own shoulder. And uh, that was really quite quite nice, quite a nice marriage. I like that you call it quite nice, because I went, <laughs> Yeah, it's, that's the problem with what goes on in here. It's like... You know, it's full of monsters and gruesome things, and I think they're lovely. Speaking about gruesome, um, that boar hunt scene 
where oh, yes, the guts hanging out. Yeah, t- tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, that was that was kind of interesting because we had we had to do that like two or three times, uh, and it was because they never really got the right shot. The the first time we did it was actually on location. You know, the guts were spilled out, and then obviously has the leg wound as well, and that's pumping out and. So, you know, they check the leg wound. Oh, dear, bad leg wound. I'm sure he'll survive. Bit of pressure. Oh, hold on a minute. His, his guts are hanging out. He probably won't survive. Take the tourniquet off. But to get to exactly that, what we wanted to see was the tourniquet going off, on, tourniquet coming off. Um, what actually happened was we filmed it, but they filmed it from such a distance, they didn't actually capture any of the detail. And then they decided to reshoot it. And they reshot it, and then they had us on the second unit. And to destroy the magic of it all, we literally were on a tiny little bit of a car park with some green grass (laughs) and some vegetation. And the guy laying there with some people hanging trees and vegetation around him with a camera on him. Uh, and you know, cars and lorries going past in the background and we basically shot that sequence again and then the footage then went to the uh, the, the first unit and they approved it and said yes we've got everything got everything great <clears throat> month later get another call we didn't get all the footage we forgot to get her undoing the tourniquet it's like oh my god so then had to do go up and set up in the car park again do the whole sequence again and um but i mean in in the actual episode when it's all together you don't actually notice it's actually three three times that that prosthetic was shot for essentially such a very small sequence it was actually shot three times and you would never know in the edit it's been edited together very very well you were too busy crying that was such an emotional scene it really was so special you're right no one would have noticed so yeah, just looking through the blurry eyes yeah absolutely yeah i mean in the first episode i mean the first time we see claire she she's you know she's fixing somebody's leg you know in the hospital and uh or not the hospital but the medical center you know and um that was kind of fun. That was our first day, and it was the first day on set, uh, and it was the first sequence they shot. So it was great because we, we came on set and we had this amputee where this fake prosthetic limb that had completely been obliterated. Uh, and he was very cool because that's the other thing. You, you know, you start to worry about the psychology of, about sticking on a, a fake leg that's been brutally ripped apart by a, a, a bomb or you know, or by some sort of shrapnel, uh, onto somebody who has lost their leg. Um, but it turned out that the actor who was wearing it had actually he'd chosen to take his own leg um, due to a, a growth deficiency in his leg when he was younger. So he decided at the age of 16 that he couldn't put up with the growth deficiency anymore. So he opted to have the surgery to have his leg removed. A very, very nice gentleman, incredibly nice guy. And so he was having this leg and a uh, leg on... And, but it was it was brilliant, you know. Uh, but my my, uh, my uh, guy who I had on set, my supervisor, he was on, and we was pumping the blood out, and it was squirting, it was fantastic. But then what happened was, he was like, "Oh, it's not working properly. It's not the blood's not coming out for the next take." 
Uh, so we, we, you know, pumped it up a little bit more, and it's like, oh, something going on. I don't know what's going on. So we tried it again. It's like, okay, we think, oh, we can see the problem. We can see the problem. And at this point, we pumped up this this pegola quite a lot. And so if you imagine there's all this compressed air along with a lot of blood in one of these pegolas, when you press the button, you're releasing that pressure, so the the fluid just flies out. But what turned out was that there was actually somebody standing on the tube on the set but we couldn't see because there was all these extras around. So they were standing around, but somebody stood on the tube. So there was all this pressure was behind it. And of course, the next take, we realized that's what it was. We forgot to release some of the pressure on the tank. So there's all this pressure built up, and it goes up to about a 10, 10 gauge. And normally, to get blood coming out at a decent, it's kind of level one and a half to two. Um, <laughs> next take... Um, we basically just pressed the button, yep. and uh, she got absolutely drenched in blood. <laughs> it went all over her face, all over her costume, absolutely everywhere. Uh, but the producers absolutely loved it. They thought it was the best thing since sliced bread, but we pretty much emptied the entire pegola in that one hit oh. out of his leg. He sort of think, he hasn't even got that much blood in his body. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> And that was kind of fun. So that was kind of good because everyone was in good spirits on the first day. And I'm sure if it was at the end of the day and everyone was tired and knackered at the end of the week, it would have been very different. Everyone would have soon been moaning at us. But because it was the first day, it was all good. When you're pumping this pergola, is it pergola? Is that how you say it? Pegola. Pegola. When you're pumping it, are you like hiding under the table? Where are you? Yeah, yeah well, we're actually hidden around the corner. So if you were to watch the sequence again, there's there's a door on the right and basically, we, me and this other guy, hidden, hidden around the corner, you know. Um, and it's difficult hiding me anywhere because I'm so big. But um, we, yeah, we're tucked around the corner, and uh, yeah. But other other things, it's like with the um, the back, you know. I was hidden um, underneath the actual decking where he's actually being lashed. He's sort of standing up, but I'm behind him, literally tucked down with my head peeking around the corner, so I can actually see how much blood's coming out. So. I can actually gauge on how far I need to go. That's the only other thing. You've kind of got to be able to watch what you're doing. But with the leg, we were blind. We couldn't see because there was no way. If we wanted to look, we'd have been on camera. So so aside from the the amputation and the back, is there something else on the set that you loved working on? Um, well, I mean, it's all gory, to yeah. be honest, all the stuff that we, we do personally on this project particular project i mean the little boy's ear i mean you know he was pinned to the post yes you know i mean we we did all that we actually made a, a large ear um which was probably about i don't know 20 times the size of his ear um so that i because i haven't seen this episode so i don't know but originally though when they hammered nail into the into the wood um i don't know if you see it but they wanted to actually see the penetration of the nail going through the ear but they wanted to do it on such a tight macro lens mm-hmm. that we needed to upscale this little boy's ear to be like this big. Wow. So we did that and then we hair punched his entire hairline. So we actually had a big piece of silicon like this with a big ear on it and hair all the way around it. And then we, they made a large nail and then they basically pierced this large nail through this large ear into this large piece of wood. So that on camera, it would actually look like his ear being pierced into the wood, but it wasn't. It was just a huge ear being pierced into a very large piece of wood. It looked um, like him, for sure. You guys did a great job. I had no idea that's how you did it. It came out great. Uh, 
and then um, and then he's actually pinned to this board for the majority of the time, and all that is is just a, a nail with a magnet on the end, and there's a piece of metal behind with a magnet on it, and it's actually just like clink. So he just stays there with a magnet <laughs> holding this pin in. Pretending to be in so much pain, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. He's a good little actor. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. What projects are you working on next? And will you be continuing with Outlander or are you moving on? Um, I mean, to be honest, I think Outlander, if... I mean, the thing is, I don't know what's in the next Outlander, to be honest. I don't know if there's a continuation of the same time period or if it actually moves to a different time period. I don't know because I haven't read the books. And we can't Um, say because we're spoiler free. So I know, (laughs) but I can't tell you guys. And the the other thing is, um, because I'm down in London and they're up in Scotland, I think they'll do whatever they can to find somebody local. But uh, it... I'd love to do the next episode, uh, the next series, because you know we we enjoyed the first one and we didn't realise it was going to be what it is. But politically, who knows what's going to happen? You know, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't what know. But it? what I'm working on at the moment, I'm working on Mission Impossible Five at the moment. Um, we're doing a new uh, film called King Arthur. Um, uh, what else are we doing? Uh, oh, there's a show coming out in America called Tut, and it's about King Tutankhamun, and it's a TV series, and it's being shot in Morocco. And we're, we've been basically involved with that since September, and that shoots until December the 12th. So we've got that going on as well at the moment. We did Fortitude quite recently, which I think is, is airing soon, which is uh, meant to be quite a quite a nice number i think that's going to be like a five series uh five series deal um and that that worked very well and we're doing a show called humans at the moment which is a remake of a scandinavian tv show um but we do yeah we're doing we're, we're doing quite a lot we, you know we're, we're keeping very busy so um the thing is with outlander it, it, even though it's on all you know it shoots all year round in scotland for the makeup team and the costumes i mean the costumes on that show the, w- the woman who does that is um, is absolutely mind blowing. The the attention to detail is phenomenal, and awards need to be given to her. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the fact that she's using the original methods and original cloth, and it's just uh, it, it's out of this world. It's one thing that I have, you know. It, the magic is never lost. When you go onto some sets and you sort of see things, you sort of think, I was convinced that was real. There's something about the costumes on that that really do take you back. And even the costumes from the 1940s is, it's beautiful, beautiful. But anyway, moving on away from the costumes, I don't know what I'm talking about the costumes for, but they are incredible. They are, they are. We talk about them almost every episode, how gorgeous (laughs) they are. They are beautiful. Yeah. What was it like working on the set of Outlander for you? Um, it it really does depend. If you're inside, then it's quite slow, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, what's great is, you know, when you do Jamie, you know, Jamie's back, it's the way we apply it is Sam will come in, he'll lay down on a massage table, we'll stick down the back in the centre, he'll then stand up and we'll do either side. And it's kind of, you get to know him on a very personal level and we talk about his fitness regime and i mean the guy's getting bigger and bigger and we've noticed that the back prosthetic is in fact 
getting smaller and smaller because he's getting bigger and bigger. Because mm-hmm. um, he's training so hard. And uh, so he's going to probably need a new back prosthetic for the next series because he's he's getting so wide now. So they might want to think about remodeling it mm-hmm. um, to fit him better. Um, but uh, the actual... The atmosphere on set is fantastic. Everyone loves being there. Everyone loves being part of it. And um, everyone's willing to help each other, you know. And when the rushes are released and people see various different clips, it's it's nice because everyone has an opinion. Everyone always strives for the best that they can, they can get out of it. And sometimes you get, you know, uh, direction, like next time, that, oh, can we do this scene again because we didn't get this or didn't get that. Um, but to be honest, I mean, for me, it's we go there, we're there for two days, and then we come back. Most of our work is spent in the workshop with all pro- projects and films. Mm-hmm. You know, it is very much 80% workshop and 20% on set. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do love, I do love being on location for Outlander because when you're on location, you know, you're in the highlands, you're in the woodlands, you're in, you're in the outside in Scotland. And for me, that's... It's so far from the norm, being in London. It's um, it, it, it's great. Well, it does. It sounds like it was such a wonderful group to be with and that you had such a pleasant experience. And heck, you got to keep getting flown out time and time again. So that's yeah, absolutely. nice. I mean, the, the actual studio itself is in Castle Kerry in, in Scotland. And it's a facility that um, was like an old factory. I don't even know if it's a factory or warehouse, but... It's huge. It's a huge facility that has been completely overtaken by Outlander, but it's been uh, completely re, uh, reinvented, and it's absolutely gorgeous inside. It's what they've actually brought to Scotland now is a whole new film studio. So even when Outlander is done in years to come, there there is going to be an industry up there that can have more and more projects, whether they're TV or film. Uh, and so Outland is going to leave a legacy in Scotland for all the people that can work in the industry. It's, it's, it's reinvented the industry in, in Scotland. And it means that, you know, if if we don't do the next series, it's not a, a, a bad thing. It's nice to be part of it, but it means that maybe the locals can do something, you know. So it's good. That's great. Well, my last question for you is, what do you want to leave with our listeners in regards to when they watch a show like Outlander or a movie like Harry Potter, what do you want them to notice or not notice about the prosthetics and makeup work? I don't want them to notice it. That's the thing. If you if you don't notice it and you just accept that it's real, then that's the biggest compliment of all. Um, if you watch it and go, oh, that nose looks a bit funny or then clearly we haven't done our job right. Um, but there's things in Outlander that you don't notice, like little prosthetics that sit on skin that give scars or pitted skin and slight buckles to noses. And there's all those tiny little things that give character features that you don't even know that are going going on. And they tell stories for each character. And I'm telling you that because you you, you probably haven't even you haven't even noticed. One thing I have noticed is Angus is missing teeth. Did you guys work on that? How did he have no teeth in the front? Uh, I had nothing to do with that. Oh. <laughs> because he does this really weird thing where he like flicks his tongue in that hole, and I'm like, does he really not have teeth? What's going yeah. on? It's creepy. Oh, I think you'll find he actually has a removable tooth. Ah. Oh. 
That would do it. That that would yeah. work. He's but- so committed to the job. <laughs> just he pries one out. Maybe that was in his audition. He was like, "This is why <laughs> yeah. I have to pick me." <laughs> what do I have to do to get the job? Yes, yes. Um, but they are a fantastic group, and uh, in the future, when you watch the the future Outlander episodes, I mean, there is a few things coming up to keep your eye on. I mean, the, the various different love interests and the backstabbing, and yeah. You're gonna. It's, it's a. It's a great ride. You're gonna enjoy the show, and it, it only gets better. You know. I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, if our fans want to come and check you out, do you have a website or Facebook or Twitter? Yeah, yeah, Facebook. Yeah, I mean Christian Mallets. You know, it's spelt rather obscurely, but there's actually images on the Facebook of of the actual process of the makeup application, showing you the blood rigs and Sam's back and and the the dislocated shoulder and the little boy's ear and there's all that. So if you actually want to see some of how we got there and how we did it, then go to the Facebook and have, have a look. Yeah. I am so thankful that we were able to interview Christian. He was great. And I was completely surprised about his description of that scene with Jordy and how they were filming in the parking lot. Right? <laughs> yeah. And like, you would never know. Not at all. You would have no clue. <laughs> it was so awesome. Those are the things that I love to hear about my favorite TV shows. Yes. Those little, almost like Easter eggs or extra pieces of knowledge that when you go back and you watch those scenes, you're like, I know what was really happening here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. They were in Jersey filming this <laughs> <laughs> in some parking lot in between like, like a Prius and a Cadillac. You know, like I thought that was really awesome. One of my favorite tidbits, I always go back to lost when it comes to this but like when, when they're running in the in the in the woods and it's raining it's crazy they're not actually running it's just the camera shaking on the show lost and, yeah on the show lost and they're just running in place you know but it makes it look like they're just scampering through the woods and they're not at all they're just running in place with water being thrown on them <laughs> isn't that really the really magic cool? of television my friend oh it's so great it it's- is magical and so much of this magic comes from the makeup and the special effects artists like Christian. Mm-hmm. If it weren't for them, it, it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to realize, again, that beautiful and I'm going to say horrific scene w- with, um, you know, the lashing, you know, yes. for, for Jamie. And, you know, it was, we always talk about Blackjack and how he said, oh, it, it was a, it was total beauty what I created. And it, it really was at least in terms of filmmaking, uh, it was it was a stunning scene. And without them pumping the blood into this guy's back underneath his prosthetic, you wouldn't have been able to realize that at all. It's true. You, you wouldn't have felt that. You wouldn't have felt like the little things hanging off of his back oh, and like the, the skin, fleshy bits. Yes. Right? You know, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have gotten a chance to see any of that. And luckily Stas has put enough money into this show where they can pay Christian Mallet to fly from wherever he's got to fly to go to Scotland to film or to do what or or film a, this scene in the parking lot. They've got enough money in the budget to do that, and that's why I think this show is going to succeed in a lot of ways that their other shows have not, because they have clearly made an effort here to really make this their flagship show and take on people of such high caliber yeah. all around you know all of the aspects of this show are just top notch so yeah, we really are in the golden age and i hate to use that word because it's so overused but i can't think of a better term 
we really are in the golden age of television. It was spurred on by the by the likes of Twenty Four, and it was continued on by Lost, and then Breaking Bad, and now Game of Thrones. And I think Outlander can be considered into that category of that that caliber show. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. It's 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 stepping foot into that caliber show. It had it hasn't made its bones yet, but it's. There. I think it's fully made its bones. Oh, I don't know. I think because it not only is it the writing and the actors, but it's all these other little aspects that the costuming and the location and the makeup that just bring it to a whole new level where you are just so entrenched mm-hmm. in every single bit. You know, n- not once during the show are you in 2014 or 2015. That's true. I, I agree with you that. You are 100% there. So mm-hmm. I... I am so excited. I'm just so excited for April to hurry up and come because I can't wait to see what's coming up next. The Droughtlander is killing me. I got, I, got, I got to tell you, it's it's absolutely driving me bonkers. Yes. Oh. So again, thank you to Christian Mallet for coming on the show and, and sharing some really cool information, not only with us, but with you guys, our listeners. I, I, it was such an honor to speak with him. And if you get a chance, please send him some love uh, in any way that you can. I think he would be extremely happy and is well-deserving. Uh, of of uh, the Outlander. We'll love. have links to his social media stuff on outlandercast.com so you can go send him love. Yeah, all right, kid. What do you say we close out the show? Perfect. All right, let's do it. So don't forget to download your free audiobook today. You can go to audibletrial.com slash tallmommedia. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash tallmommedia. For your free copy, hey, you could get Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows or any other book of your choice. You could get Outlander. Who knows? You know, <laughs> Whatever you want, While really. you're in Outlander, like, just go ahead. If you haven't read the books... Start now. Now's the time. Go get it's, Outlander and listen to it. It's free. It's free. It's so the, It's the best. <laughs> check it out there. While you're in Droughtlander, come say hi to us on all of our different social media handles. They are OutlanderCast. So that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just find us there, OutlanderCast. We just recently found out on our Instagram we have over a thousand followers. Yes, you guys rock. It's I'm so happy. I'm so thankful. <laughs> and then if you want to reach us on the email machine, you can get us at OutlanderCast at gmail.com. And then also reach us on the hotline at 503-454-6730. We want to hear your lovely voices, and I want to get this number entrenched in your brain so that when the show comes back on, we want to hear everything you have to say. So please make sure you burn this into your brain. We're going to have to make a little Celtic jingle along with that number. I know. (laughs) And don't forget to visit the Mary and Blake store where you can find all great Outlander cast swag including our famous Sassanac Wasted T-shirt. Everybody loves those shirts. It's by far our best seller. Although our Outlander Cast T-shirts with our with our logo and everything, that's that's a pretty good seller too. People hey, love that shirt. Tons of options. So just, you know, send us some love. Send Christian some love. We've just enjoyed chatting with you all. And in the meantime, I'm Mary. My name is Blake. And you've been listening to Outlander Cast. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 